EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Hector Alvarez, President of Alvarez Associates, about spotting the warning signs of workplace violence. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Hector Alvarez, President of Alvarez Associates. Welcome to the show, Hector. Always happy to be with you. Yeah, welcome to the show again. I, I, I'd actually, we were hoping to uh, to connect at the uh, the uh, Daily Advisor Exchange in Louisville uh, last week, and it just uh, didn't happen for various reasons. But uh, glad to Thank be you. talking now. Same. Um, I, you know, obviously, like I know who you are, but if sort of you could just for the uh, the audience who may not know who you are, just uh, talk a little bit about uh, you know what you do and what you're working on now. Yeah, so so who I am and what we do, you know, I, I, the short answer is, you know, I've, I've dedicated my adult life to trying to understand really what drives people to hurt each other in a work setting. Uh, you know, a little bit of military, law enforcement, ton of corporate security experience. Last ten years, uh, as a as a consultant, you know, worked with with hundreds of clients a, across all spectrums, and uh, it, it's become really interesting trying to understand why it's so challenging to to get people to come forward um, you know in so many cases we I come in after the fact and we we quickly recognize there were warning signs there were clues and and then there's this long list of reasons why people didn't come forward and you know I, I've probably assessed you know thousands of cases and I, I know you know the, the folks that I work with um, have similar experiences and it's the same story like struggling to get people to come forward um and you know we we talked about this topic last year and the year before how has workplace violence changed over the last year are are you seeing any progress you know it's interesting we're we're seeing more awareness uh but i think we're also seeing um a similar if not increasing level of dismissiveness so they know there's a problem but we're not making the change and so, you know, I, I hear more often, yeah, I knew we should have done something, but more often. So the awareness is getting there. Um, I think a lot of us in the industry are, are still trying to, to wrap our minds around what this post-pandemic world is going to be like in the workplace. Uh, I mean, how do you, how different is it, I guess, sort of talk about like, you know, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. You know, now, you know, I think we're pretty much people who are going back to work or back to work, you know, the, the sort of issues of return to work or, you know, one way or the other companies have decided to go fully remote or partially remote or everybody's back. Uh, but what are you seeing in terms of the differences between say 2019 and 2023? You know, you know, both on a professional and then a personal level, it seems like what we're seeing is in, in three, three and a half short years, people, a lot of people seem to have forgotten how to interact with each other. There, there seems to be a, a tentativeness, uh, an uneasiness. You know, I, there's, there's still on a weekly basis uh, situations where I, I'm presenting for a team and it's the first time they've done an in-person training. You know, they're just they're literally starting to just break things off. And I think that's the challenge. I think everybody we got so conditioned to keeping to ourselves that that's a lot of what we're doing. And it, it's created a lot of challenges without a doubt. Um, and, and, you know, full disclosure, we're, we're conducting this interview, uh, each of us in our own homes. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, is it just, you know, in terms of 
how people return to the work environment? Is it just sort of like, you know, they either regressed or turned inward and, and just haven't figured out that that social component that they need to kind of get along and, and you know, work productively, you know, in an office environment? You know, I, I think it's a little bit of, of a couple of different issues. I think I think there's some people and I think there's many situations where you recognize that um, that there's some benefit to allowing people to work at home. And and there's certainly a level of enjoyment. And, you know, I, I work with several clients who had employees who who came just short of flat refusing to come back into the office. And I'm hearing, you know, a lot of hybrid situations, you know, two days in the office or two days at home, you know, some mix. Um, and to me, it's not so much that I'm seeing that people don't know how to interact. It, it seems to me that what's happened is we condition people to learn to stay away from each other. Yeah. They've gotten really good at that. And uh, it, it's just awkward sometimes for a lot of people to, to do that direct face to face. I just had a training yesterday with a, a client that typically their 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 model had been meeting face to face with employees. I mean, with their with their their participants across the pandemic, they switched like we did to a remote model. Well, since then, they hired a lot of new employees who only worked remote. Right. And now it's time to start opening back up and they're not sure what to do. They've never met face to face with their clients and they have a, a challenging you know, set of clients. And so organizations are going through major shifts. Employees are having to deal with, you know, this is not the job I signed up for and mm -hmm. doing it. And and then the, the customers themselves, I think, got used to interacting a certain way online or over the phone. And it's different in person. So it, it changes across the board. Yeah, that sort of brings up two two sort of points, which is the, you know, obviously the employees and then the customers. Well, let's talk about the employees first. What do you tell those, you know, those clients of yours, you know, who are, are struggling with, you know, uh, people returning to work and maybe not knowing how to behave? What is what is your advice to them? You know, we, we have, well, it's, it's interesting. It's been more of a discussion than advice because every company seems to take a different approach. Um, a lot of listening to these employees versus talking and understand the dynamics. You know, we had a group that put a hard stop, you know, where everybody's coming back in the office at the end of the month. It was about three weeks. People had daycare issues. They, they found out their employees had moved away. They physically no longer lived in the area. And it was a dramatic change for them to process that. So I think it's for the organizations, a lot of listening um, and being patient. For the, the, the next piece is, really assessing the strength of their their leadership team, their, their frontline managers. Because I think from my perspective, which is, you know, watching for inappropriate or concerning behavior, that is usually uh, identified, picked up by that frontline managers. Again, some of these are brand new as well. So it's getting them up to speed, getting them to, to know what to look for and then what to do if there are issues and, and really pay attention to what these new issues could be in these person, in these individual homes. Yeah, you know, how are how are the issues that are arising different now than they were before? Like, what are you know? What are some of the things that you uh, you kind of tell people to look out for? So, I, I think and you know you, you mentioned it. We're we're both in our own homes on on a, on a call, monitoring your employees and the workplace virtually and remotely. I think is a new thing, and so I really push organizations to to have a mandate have a culture where everybody has their cameras on so we can at least see and and you know have that touch point but some of the new things that we've seen are 
Um, I've had multiple situations where there's inappropriate behavior happening in the background. Okay, mm -hmm. embarrassing. Um, there's also been concerning behavior. I, I've worked, unfortunately, several situations where there was some level of interpersonal violence that was occurring. And so just imagine the setting, you've got a team meeting, you know, multiple screens on display, and one of your employees is assaulted by somebody in their home, and, and how you would handle that. Mm. Do you direct being? Do you reach out to them? Do you in the meeting? That's come up. We've had uh, employees who were drunk on calls. Uh, we've had employees who said inappropriate things, not really realizing they're not muted. Um, and, you know, it would be akin to talking under your breath right. at a conference table, years, but how do you address it? And so this is a whole range of inappropriate behavior, but it's presented differently. That's the challenge. And then for the folks who are in the office, again, how are, how are they sort of, or how are problems emerging with those folks? So I worked with one company, fairly large. They doubled their size of employees across the pandemic. Many people have never met. Many managers never met their employees in person. And so as you're bringing them into the office, how do you know who your coworkers are? And so the need to focus on, on basics of security, everybody having a badge, badging in and out, so you know they belong, be, because you're around dozens, hundreds of people, and you have no idea right. who's actually your coworker. So there's been a, a renewed focus on some basic workplace security practices, the, um, the, the focus and effort of some of the physical security teams on doing that has been escalated, and they kind of shifted. A lot of our physical security teams were doing COVID mandates, temperatures, checking, you know, paperwork, to now, are we allowing employees and authorized people in? Mm -hmm. And so that's the shift. How do I know that I'm working with a coworker has become a big challenge. Yeah. So let's talk about the other side of it, which is, uh, you know, when you're customer facing and dealing with, you know, probably uh, customers who are a little more aggressive than they used to be pre-pandemic. How, you know, how is that manifesting itself? So one of the things that I always talk about with, with respect to interacting with customers is setting a baseline for the interaction, you know, setting some expectations of how I'm going to behave, how we hope they behave. And what I just heard, and it was a really powerful statement yesterday, was that the challenge sometimes is that for one particular client, they may interact a particular way online, hmm. another way over the phone, and then a completely different way in person. So, so how do you know which employee you're dealing with? I'm sorry, how do you know which customer you're dealing with um, and, and which face they are presenting? And so that was a really, really unique challenge. And what they said is they, they have found, I have also found, that some people will be more aggressive, more inappropriate when it's remote or virtual, and then not so much in person. It's balancing all that. Yeah, that's and, the whole uh, keyboard warrior thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And so she said, I had notes on this this customer and you know, they're rude, they're obnoxious. All those interactions happen to be online. And when they were face to face with the, with the customer, they were completely different. And so it's just a whole new set of parameters and it's reestablishing each interaction based on what you're facing in front of you. But there's also been instances where you've got folks, customers coming in who, you know, for whatever reason, they've got shorter tempers. They're they're more you know willing to to lash out at you know whoever it is behind the counter, uh, behind you know at the desk. 
um, you know, what are some things that sort of, you know, you would recommend in terms of, you know, those folks where, you know, you might, you might see it coming, you might not. Yeah, there, there certainly seems to be a cross section of the population that have turned into aggressiveness that have turned into kind of a demanding style of, of requesting services. And I think a lot of people weren't pushing back through the pandemic. And so a lot of what we talk about is as, a, as, a, as an organization, I think you have to spend some time up front talking about what kind of culture you're gonna have and, and what kind of behavior you're, you're going to expect and then deliver. And a, a big discussion really is around creating a customer experience that everybody enjoys Mm -hmm. uh, again, I was just, you know, training yesterday. I was listening in the lobby at the beginning in one heated conversation between the front desk staff and a client. It, it changed the tone and tenor of the entire lobby. You know, everybody in the room that I could just see visually got got uneasy, got uncomfortable. And so I think we have to acknowledge that we do have an obligation to set a tone, to create some expectations. And so we talk about that. What what do you expect and hope to deliver? And then we we teach and talk about how to create that face to face with the customers. We also talk about where's the line, you know, when is the line crossed, and then what could you do? And we talk about other strategies. You know, I I'm a big proponent of having conversations with people and setting expectations. Uh, you know what? Really want you to come in, enjoy having you here. Gosh, the last visit got a little tense, and we were hoping that we could talk before you came in. And here's what we kind of hope from you. And then here's what I hope you can expect from us. Sometimes we formalize that. And, and we've had uh, clients write up formal behavioral contracts, a written document with a client that says, this is hopefully how we expect you to behave. Uh, we've also moved some clients back to being only virtual. Hmm. Right? That we, we just can't support you in person until something changes. So until then, let's go online. So the point is the organization has to be prepared to take actions to manage that interaction and what's the culture, what's the nature of that interaction gonna be? Um, earlier you talked about, you know, obviously identifying and assessing threats. Are you seeing businesses getting better at this? Uh, you know, sort of as you know, we've seen a lot of incidents, you know, over the last several years, uh, you know, are, are people, you know, they know what to look for now? Um, I think the, they're starting to, to ask more questions. Um, I think knowing what to look for, you know, people always call me and, and me, other people that do the same thing, and they want me to do a threat assessment as if it's a product. And the reality is it's much more of a process. It's, it's understanding the dynamics. Um, in California, we're being driven by, by several efforts. There's a Senate bill that's passed both houses and is in committee that will drive workplaces to do certain things, including threat assessment. There's also um, a supporting Cal OSHA bill, our, our health and safety organization. And so I think there's more of an awareness and more of an incentive coming to know what to look for. The, the hurdle goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. We have to get past awareness. Uh, awareness is not enough. It's that awareness plus action will help out. And, and I still have stories that tell me where there's been an incident or a staff assault and you know, I'm making air quotes, everybody knew that that patient, that person was a problem, but reluctant to take action. Yeah, yeah. And so getting people comfortable acting on what they know is wrong. That's the big hurdle. And one sort of, you know, thing that we've seen repeatedly in a lot of uh, cases, including I think the, the Louisville incident that happened not too long ago, 
was uh, former employees who, you know, come back armed and, you know, for, for whatever grievance, uh, you know, start to, you know, shoot the place up or, or you know, act out. Uh, how are how are you advising businesses to deal with former employees, especially if it doesn't end well? Yeah, one, I, I think it's it's critical, imperative, you know, just the side of a requirement that that organizations, big or small, have some form of formal behavioral threat assessment team. Um, the belief that firing somebody, letting them go, uh, solves our problem, um, we, we clearly recognize that that's not the case. So having a process to assess it and is there a there, there is there a problem, step one. And then step two is what do we do about it? And, and that really is where we get stuck. Um, and, and so it's that next piece. And, and there's a lot of information available online. If anybody just Googles, you know, behavioral threat assessment, there's gonna be a deluge of information. Having a structured process, I, I almost wanna say any structured process is so much more um, advantageous and, and uh, change the dynamics of the potential for it occurring than not doing anything. I can almost say, look, just do something. <laughs> I, I don't want to be that cavalier. Just do something uh, goes such a long way. Um, but that's the problem. You know, more cases than not, I come in, my, you know, my, my counterparts come in and again, I'm doing air quotes and everybody knew there's a potential problem. So it, it's interesting. People know it's the ability to take action. So set up a small team, have that process, what we're advising. And that obviously goes for current employees as well. It doesn't have to be former employee. I mean, you know, if there's a pattern of behavior that's, that's alarming, you should be documenting that, right? I mean, and then obviously taking action, you know, if you, if you see fit. Yeah, one thing you'll hear me talk about in my presentations as training is I, I think leaders who are in a position to oversee the prevention of violence really need to know, and this is being very paternal, really need to know the, the four uh, domains of, of workplace violence um, and understand their, their risk and be able to identify the warning signs. And those four are, Somebody who has criminal intent, they want to steal something, they come in, somebody gets hurt. Type two is that interaction between us and a customer, and it goes sideways. Classic is, you know, think of a, a patient, think of a, a library customer, and that relationship goes sideways. Type three has to do with our coworkers, current or past, and something about that nature. And the fourth category of workplace violence is, is personal relationships. They have no legitimate business with the organization, but there's some relationship with the employee. Really have to understand the risk factors and the warning signs of all four categories. If, if there's, a, to me, that's the ABC uh, of, of preventing violence is understanding those four do domains. And obviously, especially with the domestic uh, interpersonal issues, you know, the person, the employee who's dealing with that you, you know, who may have uh, an abusive spouse or partner may not say anything to you. So you kind of have to really be paying attention if you notice that their behavior is changing, right? Yeah. And, and it, it, you know, we could we could spend, you know, multiple shows talking about domestic violence and personal relations. It is very personal yeah. and it, very intimate. And so having a relationship with your employees that they can trust you, uh, you know, I, we could stop and highlight and circle and marker around trust, getting people to come forward is the challenge. And, and one of the barriers is, is the lack of trust. Building that trust up is, I think, one big barrier to overcome. 
especially when it comes to personal relationships. Because a lot of people still get, I don't know, a, an icky feeling talking about people's personal businesses yeah. or personal relationships. But when it spills into the workplace, uh, it's just catastrophic. And I guess, if, you know, if you see if you see an indication of something, but you don't do anything about it, like you said, you don't act, you know, it can build up until it's too late to act. Without a doubt, you know, and we just had in California, uh, our, our health and safety, Cal OSHA, fine a, an employer for a series of 21, 22 violations related to a workplace shooting. And everything we're talking about is what they highlighted. And it's probably not typical to what you'd expect from a health and safety organization, you know, it, it, but they cited the, the lack of a workplace assessment, the lack of training, the, the lack of response, as if it was a, you know, a, a confined space accident and right. they felt it was a confined space and they, they failed to train the employees on what to do and the hazard. So we're starting to see workplace violence talked in the same breath, in the same sentence other workplace hazards and so I, I think if organizations embrace that you can see it if, if somebody came to your company and started digging a big hole up front and then left and just left the hole gosh I hope somebody would say something yeah uh, we've got to get to that same level of awareness and then response with these workplace behavioral issues um, one thing uh, that was discussed when we were at the uh, daily advisor exchange that a few folks brought up was uh, the safety of lone workers uh, when they're out on a job, you know, by themselves, kind of out in the open. Uh, and it's hard, you know, to, to monitor that. Um, you know, what do you, how do you advise those folks to, to keep those lone workers safe? You know, th there's some technology issues, you know, there's some wearable devices, there's some, you know, worker down devices. Uh, there are some procedures that I think are important to have. I think every organization should have a, a simple procedure for working in the field. Um, but I also think it's a conversation with these employees, reminding them that they are in charge of their own safety. They're their own first responder, their own medic, and making sure that they all know it's okay to leave a dangerous situation. And I think in a lot of organizations, it's assumed. Like they would know if it gets uncomfortable or dangerous, they would leave. And that's simply not the fact. You know, I talk to a lot of employees who tell me, you know, I thought I would get in trouble. I didn't like to leave. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Because I've got everything from, you know, 17-year-old, 18-year-old high school graduates passing flyers out in people's homes, you know, little, you know, water conservation programs to construction out on their own. I mean, every, every variation. But the, the common thread is they're, they're on their own. Right. And so if there was ever a space for organizations to truly empower their employees, this is it. And it's standing in front of the employees and being very candid. If you have to leave, leave, we've got your back. And then meaning that. I think that's the biggest uh, task is making sure they know they can get, they can leave a situation without having to ask for permission. Yeah, don't don't just assume that they know that. It's amazing how many yeah. feel committed to, to getting, like, I've got to do the job. This is why they hired me. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, uh, what are some challenges that you, on the horizon in terms of workplace violence that you see coming up sort of, you know, down the road, uh, obviously, you know, we've been dealing with this increase in, you know, violent incidents that seems to be, you know, uh, not slowing down, but what are, what are some other things that you're kind of keeping an eye out for? 
Yet uh, it's going to sound less than security related, but I think I think we need to decide um, as organizations what our culture is going to be. Like, how do we how do we expect to treat each other? Um, you know, for all the awareness of inappropriate behavior, for all the awareness of who to tell, a lot of times what I don't hear is how do we make it better? Like, how do how do we have an organization where we treat each other the way we want to be treated? You know, I think if organizations could could go back. To their kindergarten days and, and and take the 10 golden rules off the list and start treating each other like that we've got to get back to treating each other better we have to have a higher space expectation of that we we have to get over this you're either with me or against me and and somehow and especially with the election you know series coming up i get nervous because i don't care what your beliefs are you're wrong right there, there's no middle of the road so i think we have to allow for for conflict and discussion I think that's part two, and and then it's all the other infrastructure, in in how we handle the response to these problems. Um, we we have a, a a a big mound, a big hill to overcome, and and I think these organizations are going to be on their own for largely on their own. You know, law enforcement is still trying to figure out what their role is, and we're trying to figure out what our relationship is with law enforcement. So I think a lot of the the security needs are going to fall on the shoulders of organizations. And so how do we want to treat each other? How do you manage conflict? And then what do we do when something happens? Because it's going to be on your own shoulders. And I, I think those are three big things that organizations are going to have to start focusing on moving forward. Yeah, because law enforcement kind of gets involved after the fact most of the time, yeah. right? So, you know, they can't necessarily do anything before anything happens. So that's on you guys. No, you know, it, it, I mean, technically, some of these major crimes, a crime wasn't committed in many instances until they came on campus. And we've all seen it. You know, there's a horrific shooting and, you know, it's mom and dad there trying to survive. And then five minutes later, there's 200 cops. Yeah. Um, we, we would, I'm a police officer as well. I think we would, we would all love to be there before it happened. That's just less likely. You can't read minds. So, <laughs> yeah. minds. Yeah. you know, these are black swan events, they're, you know, very often. But it, it's uncommon, less likely that they're random. There's some relationships. So the organization can be best you know, position to realize it. So I, I think that's it. I think when you look at emerging concerns, and I've had discussions with a lot of senior executives, like, what do we worry about? I worry about that day. Yeah. You know, about financing and growth, all these things, but I also worry about that day. Well, let's come up with a strategy. Let, let's start marching that direction. Let's incorporate it. You know, Jay, a lot of organizations don't even track workplace violence as a risk event. When I ask them, you know, what's your rate of occurrence? I, I get, you know, I get corporate shoulders shrugging at me. Um, we don't track it. We, we don't know. We don't we don't track workplace violence as a near miss. So I, I think emerging internally is how often is this occurring in, in your work environment? And it makes it harder to understand and then direct resources if you don't know. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah. If you, if you think it's if you think it's nothing zero or you have just no idea, then you're probably wrong. So. Yeah, and like I said, going back to an early part of our conversation um, in California, I, I think within the next year or two, you're, we're going to have the requirement, the mandate, to both record and report incidents. And I, I think that'll start that, and that'll that'll help give us a scope of it. But I, I certainly don't think organizations need to wait to start tracking and measuring these incidents. Yeah, definitely. Good advice as uh, as always, uh, Hector. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely, Jay. All right.
That wraps up episode 166 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen on man episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Thank you.